This is Circulating Ideas. I'm Heather Moorfield-Lang, sitting in for Steve Thomas, and my guest today is Gail Carriger, author to multiple New York Times bestsellers in adult and YA fiction with over a million books in print. Thank you so much for joining us today on Circulating Ideas and taking time to chat. By the way, I love your new office space. Oh, thank you. And thank you so much for having me. I am really excited because I have a, just love libraries so much. So I feel I always feel particularly honored when librarians pay attention to me. It just seems it's it's like my heroes, you know, so yeah, I'm very excited. I am very excited to talk to you today. Um, when you were interested in speaking on library podcasts or what podcasts folks were interested in hearing you on, I, I quickly messaged you or <laughs> tweeted at you and I asked Steve if it was a, a possibility to interview you. So I'm so excited that this has all worked out. Yes, me too. So my first question for you are questions. Um, I have questions that um, came from myself. I also have questions from young as well as adult readers from the field, as well as librarians. So I have a, a wide uh, range of questions that I've gathered over the last few weeks. So the first being, with this podcast being about libraries, what is your relationship with libraries and librarians in your work and your life? So my very first job was as a library page. So I grew up in a, I grew up in a really small town and I was I was basically a latchkey kid because both my parents worked and um, we weren't we didn't have very much money, but I didn't really notice that like it wasn't a burden or anything. There's no nothing because what all I did was just immediately go to the library after school and I was a quiet self-contained child and I would just find a book and hide in a corner and it, I thought that was like a reward <laughs> so I was like yay I finished school I get to go to the library um and and it was such a small library that I basically sort of read my way through the entire collection and so relatively young I was already on interlibrary library loans and stuff um and so it kind of was a natural thing that eventually the librarians just started putting me to work shelving stuff. I still have bits of the Dewey Decimal System memorized. <laughs> like I get a good at putting people to work. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. But I'll get like a nonfiction book and I'll be like, oh, cooking, you know, six eleven or whatever. Um, so yeah, so that's it. And, and librarians have been like we had a fantastic school librarian, and then like I said, I, I had like a very close relationship with my local librarian, just the one really, <laughs> one one room library. Many of us are are alone in our schools. Librarians, we're alone in our schools and in our public libraries. So we're we're. I'm excited to hear that you you had excellent ones. Oh, so uh, good. Awesome. Can you discuss the importance of research in the writing of your books? For example, have you had a chance to go up in an airship yourself or any weapons or combat training, or you have such attention to details with what people wear in your books, for example? 
So yeah, I do research all the time and I use libraries a lot. Um, although I sh will say not as much now as I used to because now, because I make money off of my writing, I feel like I ought to um, pay for books more. So especially a book that I, I'm going to consult a lot, like a like um, like a research book for, for Victorian fashion or something. So I'll often check them out of the library to see if they're going to be really useful for me and then I'll return them and buy it so that I, I've given, like, you know, I've supported an author and I have it all the time and I'm not taking it out of circulation too frequently. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, one of the things I did, I did it for my uh, 30th birthday. I spoiled myself by taking myself on a hot air balloon ride, but that was partly for research as well. And um, and it was really fun and it was kind of hilarious because I'm that person in the hot air balloon with a bunch of strangers who's like, tell me what would happen if you mounted a cannon on the edge and shot, <laughs> like, how would the balloon react? And, and the guy starts talking about how you lower it. And I'm like, well, that cord that's supposed to lower it, what happens if I actually do pull that cord? <laughs> like, really fast, how fast do you drop? You know, like, ooh, and it was, actually incredibly useful. I learned so much about hot air balloons and then that sort of translated loosely to dirigibles, but like, cause they, they move laterally between airflow. So mm -hmm. in order to go change directions, you move up or you move down until you find a breeze that's like going the direction you want it to go. I didn't think about that. And also they're inside breezes. So it's actually not windy at all in the hot air balloon. It's very still because you're just being carried along. So your hair doesn't, you know, so, and these are things that I feel like as a writer, you you could maybe find the research and read about it, but it's really hard to get that um, just just in online or even in research books. Like you have to sort of experience some of this stuff. What a um, wonderful experience, though. It's great. It was great. What, what was the reaction from the other people you were uh, writing? With? Oh, yeah, as you can imagine, I eventually had to be like, I'm a writer, I swear. I'm, 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 not, I'm up here for research. I mean, we writers always joke about our search histories and how we're pretty positive the FBI has a file that's like, must be a mystery writer, right? Not a serial killer. They're not trying to bring down they're, the balloon. They're not. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to mention, which I think is useful for librarians to know, and it is also something that if there are any authors listening should know, is I use children's nonfiction a lot from initial research often. So for something like, um, like I like the eyewitness books a lot. Mm -hmm. So eyewitness train is a really great example of something that I, I use. I use that book so much I ended up buying it um, because it just has like basic schematics of a steam engine, and they're really, really visual. So they allow you as a writer to describe the thing as your character would see it, rather than have to go read an article and then reinterpret it or try to imagine what they're, so, um, so yeah, children's nonfiction is also, also something that I, that I use a lot for like, for the beginnings of descriptions and things like that. There's such amazing nonfiction out there now with the descriptions. There's um, the series that's available that um, I'm going to forget the name, but it's something along the lines of um, what would life be like if I were a Roman soldier mm -hmm. or, um, you know, what if I were like in, if I were a, a, a medieval knight. Yes. Uh, along those lines. And they have just amazing details. 
So that's that's wonderful to hear. My my uh, friends who are public and academic or public and school librarians would be really excited to hear that. Yeah, don't discount it. If a if a you know adult author comes trailing in and is like, oh, I have a scene coming up, you can be like, guess what? Like, I know this sounds weird, but let's walk over to the children's section because exactly. <laughs> yeah, so useful. All the visual elements are so useful. Well, it breaks it down for all of us because some of the the more adult reads are just so. They're just so such tomes, and they're dense. you know nonfiction can be really dense, and a and an author is usually looking for you know just like a basic, what's the basic layout of a Roman bedroom? Like that's all I need. I don't need to know like all of the analysis that went into that. I need to know like when I walk into it, where's the bed located? Is it in the corner or what? You know that kind of thing. What does a bed look like to the Romans? You know. Can you discuss, and this is taking a bit of a turn, but can you discuss reaching a diverse audience of readers through your work, the importance of that? Because you have such a wide range. You've got adult, you've got YA, but now you have uh, the fifth gender series. You've got, you've got so much, your LGBTQ series. Um, can you talk about that importance to you um, of reaching that diverse audience? Ooh, um, well, I mean, maybe this is, I think sometimes the, I'm I'm diverse and I, I try, I don't know how to put this, but I kind of, I'm a very pleaser author. I, I want to make my readers feel contented and happy and partly because like the world isn't great and also because I always read to escape. Um, so, and one of those things, one of those things was seeing um, people like me and then people not like me get happy endings and get found family and get friendships and lovers and all of those things. Um, and so I, I kind of, I guess I see that as my mission. I, I don't know that I really love that word, but I just want, I want um, people to pick up one of my books and see themselves in it and then also see themselves get good things out of life. Um, and and have fun and have hilarity and have adventures and all of those things. Um, and it's not that I that I don't think other books that are kind of I guess more honest to the experience aren't important because they very very much are. Um, but I think growing up because I'm I'm quite queer and I think growing up and not having that was just made me a little sad. Uh, I mean I eventually figured out how to get it on my own, but um, but so I kind of want to put that out into the universe. I want to put that possibility. I want to write those narratives into existence. So talking about the Parasol verse, uh, your Parasol Protectorate and Finishing series is so popular among professionals in the library field and their patrons and their students. Uh, so what was your impetus for moving, and I'm sure you've been asked this, but what was your impetus for moving from adult fiction or back and forth? from adult fiction to YA. And I know you go back and forth between the two. Um, it is, it's been sadly a little while since I've been back in YA, which makes me, makes me sad, but hopefully, hopefully I'll be going back in there in the future. Um, so I am a huge admirer of YA. The first books where I started to see representation and where I started to see myself, even just as a strong female main character, a bit bossy, you know, like going out there, you know, kicking out, taking names, all that sort of thing. Um, was Tamora Pierce, and 
and so and so I identified incredibly strongly with her and with her characters and then you know moved on from there to Mercedes Lackey which is dating me but you know I'll, I'll know how old I am but um so that was that was sort of you know ex extremely meaningful for me um but when I wrote Solace it was not like which is my first book it, it was not young adults but I'm I've always been very open about that I love recommending books to people I love matching books with people even if it's not my own especially when it's not my own it's almost more exciting to be like oh, I have the best book for you like it's it's nothing to do with me it's way darker than what I write but knowing what you love like here's like I, I probably should have been a librarian I was going to say like, you should be a librarian that's a, what we do it's so good um, I could interest so. you in a department and a program we're fully online <laughs> so I do a lot of book re recommending like um, just in my social media and stuff like that now but um, so but I talked about it I blogged about it very early on in my career I would blog about my love of books and often those books were young adult books and a New York editor was a fan of my adult stuff but was a children's book editor and she followed my blog um, this was back in the day when editors had time for these kinds of things um, um, and so uh, you know I, I hit the New York Times and things started to go really well on that side of my career and she reached out to me and she said well I know Gail is a big fan of young adult lit um, would she ever consider writing it and I was like absolutely <laughs> she would totally consider writing it I mean the great secret of a lot of my books is I tend to use what amounts to a young adult, young adult chassis, which mm -hmm. I see as, you know, sort of a Bilderstroman, like um, coming, coming of age journeys, but also finding yourself in the universe, finding your friends, finding your people, that kind of thing. I have a lot of found family in my stuff. And um, I just, when I write adult books, I just have multiple point of views and I like expand them out and make it a little bit more complex. But like, I naturally tend to write the length and kind of this and breeziness of what I think YA is. So I think I sort of naturally write YA and then I, it's one of the reasons novellas are also very comfortable for me because it's mm -hmm. basically a, an adult story at a YA length <laughs> or even mid-grade. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's kind of why I, I organically went to YA and fortunately for me, she loved what I wrote and you know I had a wonderful, spate of career as a YA author for a while there, which was, which is exciting. They are very well received. Have you um, been told about uh, Battle of the Books? Are you familiar? I, it definitely rings a bell. Um, <laughs> definitely. So here, here in North Carolina, but as well as other states, uh, there's a program called Battle of the Books. And um, they, they do it at elementary, middle, and high, but I'm, I'm most familiar with middle school. And typically it's like 25 to 27 books a year. You have kind of a knowledge bowl team and they have 27 books, the students read them, and then they have competitions against other schools and their teams about those books. Okay. And last year, your first finishing school book was on, uh, typically it's a first book in a series. Uh, it was on the battle of the books list. and. So so some of my questions came from a young man who loved your series because the first book was on Battle of the Books. And that's what got him started on that's reading the wonderful. series. That's wonderful. That's so, so cool. I love it. I love it. Yeah. What a great idea. I remember the book challenges as a kid 
from the library and reading them. And I eventually was, I was banned from participating because I just read all of them too quickly. <laughs> and the, and I, too just, good. I blew the curve and then I, they would waste all the prizes on me and I didn't really need the prizes or want the prizes anyway. <laughs> I was like, I just want to read the books. I just like winning and reading the books. <laughs> so <laughs> It's nothing but win. Exactly. <laughs> So, thank, but thank you. Yes. Um, what is different for you about writing for a YA audience compared to an adult? I do think it is harder. Um, mm. Much as I say I, I write it naturally, I think it's harder. I think mid grade is even harder. Um, because I, because I feel like YA has to be very snappy and tight and short mm. and 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 action packed, but also pace wise. Sure. Um, and pace is something that author like. Readers often think about plot and stuff like that, but authors should uh, often be thinking about pace because pace is kind of like the heartbeat of the book. It's it's almost the way you can control your reader's breathing and how involved they are in it. And if you're writing YA, you have to be so good at that. Um, and I think that the best YA authors are really good at pacing. Um, so for me, it is slightly more challenging. Um, as as a writer but also I mean it's a completely it's a different target like you are writing for a different set of eyeballs and a different audience and you can never forget that um, I happen to be like really happy and content pretending I'm back in high school <laughs> I had a really good high school experience so um, and usually when you're writing YA you're writing about high school age protagonists um, for usually slightly younger than that but um, or starting slightly younger but so, you know, it, it was fun for me to kind of write for myself and my friends uh, back when we were back when we were in high school. And that's what I did, basically. The, you, you make a really great point about the pace, because, I mean, middle schoolers, high schoolers, they want to get in there. They want to know those characters. They want to like them quickly. They want to, as you, you say, your found friends, your found family. They want to know if these are folks that they relate to. That That, that is very important. They, they don't want that time wasted. No. They want to get on in there and, and meet these folks quick. They want to get into that story. But once they're hooked. Oh, yeah. There better be a series. They want more. They want more. We all do in reality, but, middle, but, but young YA really does. So how did you decide to combine steampunk with paranormal? Because it really is an interesting mix of genres. So I am um, a social scientist by uh, academic background and training and uh, with a heavy emphasis on the science side of social science. I was an archaeologist. So um, I really liked, I sort of started out when I was building my universe with a thought experiment about how history would behave if the monsters that they believed in were real at the time and how the culture would react to that and interact and stuff like that. So I started off with this idea, you know, what if vampires and werewolves specifically were real and accepted into Victorian English society and how London would sort of behave around that. Um, and then I kind of went off from there and immediately because I have this scientific background, I was like, well, the scientists would be trying to analyze them, get away from them, figure out how to become immortal themselves. There'd be a whole reaction. Um, and so a, a short way of putting it is that my steampunk universe is the consequence of the injection of a supernatural or my supernatural king creatures had steampunk consequences and I kind of didn't really know I was writing steampunk until uh, I, I, I encountered the steampunk movement and, and 
that happened right around the same time. Um, and then I was like, oh, and, and it's so, and I am an aestheticist, I'm object driven, I'm an archeologist. And so encountering this whole world of like whimsy and fun and outfits mm -hmm. and everything was just added to the delight for me. Um, and and the joy in writing sort of the comedic side of that because I, my mind immediately goes if you're going to put vampires in victorian society like naturally their pale skin influences the culture in favor of very pale skin right everyone's wearing high-necked dresses because they want to a hide the bite marks or not inv invite the biting right? right so you have like so everything the modesty of the victorians the big hoop dresses keep the vampires away you know that kind of thing and brain, yeah it just automatically goes into those kinds of arenas and of course if you have vampires and werewolves sort of bound to territories or areas on the ground then you're gonna want flight way quicker and way more of it and you want to move larger numbers of people so dirigible technology and stuff like that and steam technology is going to morph into trying to get people off the ground and away from the predators beautiful explanation thank you so much <laughs> that was it was amazing <laughs> for as many of your books that i've read i now that just oh gosh it just opens up so much <laughs> so is it easier for you to write this comes directly from from uh, a ya reader is it easier for you to write from the perspective of characters that are more like you or more unlike you for instance how similar are you to sophronia well, I'm very similar to my characters, but I'm very similar to all of my characters, okay. including including the bad ones and the evil ones and the the ones that are not my sexual orientation or my gender. Like I, I it's really funny because I heard Pat, Pat Rothfuss say this better than me at some point, but essentially he said, um, if you ask one of my friends if I'm like any one of my characters, my friends will usually go, well, yeah, I, sort of like them, but also sort of like them and also sort of like them um, and I think that's just you know we're writers we naturally put a lot of ourselves into our books um, but for point of view characters or main characters especially if I'm going to write a longer running series it does help if I have like at least a point in my life that I very much connect to and can pull on that character with so like Alexia for me my first character my first main character in the Parasol Protectorate series is is very much like this experience of my late 20s early 30s of trying to find a purpose and like a, a reason and a, and a means to give back to the world in which I in which I am moving through and then Sophronia is very much my high school experience in terms of finding my friends and um, she's way more observational I was way less of an extrovert when I was in in high school literally she's a spy so she wants to figure out how to manipulate people and that's definitely something i think teenagers start to think about like social group interactions and stuff so that also so yeah there is quite a bit of me in all of my characters but there's also a lot of me in the side characters and vampires um and then i i do write characters now with whom i have not very much in common um and that just requires a lot more research to make sure that i'm getting things right whether that is sort of psychological research or just really stretching my imagination like how would an, an extreme introvert for example react to these sorts of situations that's not me but you know I can go looking and see how other people describe that experience and try to imagine what it would be like to be an introvert encountering a vampire <laughs> you know? what would this be like, what would this be like? <laughs> 
Yeah. And going back to the research. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Go and back that, that also includes, includes talking to people and interviewing and, and reading and, and all of the different types of things. One of the things I love to do um, when I'm building a character that isn't like me is to give them quizzes. So like psychological quizzes or even quizzes, you know, like silly favorite tea time or favorite magazine or fashion questions or whatever. But I take the quiz as if I were the character and to see what kinds of results the quiz gives me. Um, I just think that's a really fun way to sort of climb into a, another person's point of view when you're when you're writing them, especially I did that a lot, especially when I was when I was in high school, when I was first first starting out on writing. So I like that. Yeah, that's a good that's to get a perspective different from yours. I like that a lot. And it, and it helps you climb into the characters uh, point of view because you know the question is being asked and you have to say well I would say this but what would Colin say right like Colin's not me what would he say you know that kind of thing yeah exactly so when it's time to write what types of things do you find yourself doing <laughs> instead or getting distracted as a person who writes yes, I know you know <laughs> I know the four apocalypse horses of making me uh, to, to distract me anyway what what might uh, stop you from from uh, writing uh, though, though I know you have a very specific goal of I do done but but I will say, like most authors, I'll pretty much do anything not to write. <laughs> I just think it's just endemic to the breed. Um, so I do, like, I'll get up and make tea. Uh, mm. I'll do a podcast interview. <laughs> I'll listen to podcasts. I'm a big podcast consumer. Um, I'm also a aforementioned scientist, so I really like spreadsheets and data. So I'll do, like, oh. number crunching and stuff like that, demographics or um, sales data or whatever it is. Um, and then I'm, a, I'm still, to this day, a truly voracious reader. So <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of reading. I really try not to use reading to procrastinate, but I definitely bribe myself with reading. Like if I just get my word count done, that I get to go back to that book, <laughs> someone else's book. <laughs> so that's um, yeah. But I do a lot of things to try and distract myself. But I haven't let myself. I know some authors will do things like start baking or knitting or pick up like larger craft projects. And I, up to this point at least, I won't let myself do that. I I used to be actually more into sewing and and costumes and stuff like that. But I feel like it does get I put too much of my creative excitement into it then and the book becomes way less shiny um, and the book needs to be the shiny creative thing that I want to do. <laughs> now, do you have a daily limit? Um, I have friends of mine who write an hour a day, two hours a day, or do you have a word limit? I have a word limit. Um, I work very good with like specific project target goals. So like mm -hmm. I need to do this many words every day. Uh, so Scrivener is my friend because it has project targets and stuff like Scrivener that. Scrivener is, yeah. yeah. Scrivener is amazing. Yeah. So, um, and mine is 2,000 words a day usually. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. All right. That's amazing. <laughs> and I don't, I do, and I treat it, this, this is my job, it's, I'm a full-time writer, so um, I don't, I don't write on the weekends and stuff like that. I try to really treat it like it is a job. So I, I tend to, I don't want to become, I don't want to carve a groove of too much patterning in my writing. So I don't want to create a situation where I have to have my coffee mug here and I have to be at my office and I have to da 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 da. So I do try to, like sometimes I'll write in the afternoon, I used to always write from like two to six, but now I have a morning writing time on Wednesdays. So mm -hmm. I try to make sure I'm not 
I don't have too many requirements in order to write. That's kind of important for me. Um, but I, I am learning. I mean, I'm 10 years plus in at this juncture, and I'm still learning things about what my writing muse likes. Uh, but I can say that I am a coffee uh, shop writer. I like ambient noise a lot. And I am a competitive writer. I do really, really well if there is another writer or more sitting with me all typing at the same time. No talking, nothing like that. Just just the act of having someone else clickety-clacking the keyboards is like, oh, are they are they writing more than me? I, I must keep writing, you know? Um, but also, I will get my flow. Like, if I just get over the hump of forcing myself to sit in front of the computer and opening the document, um, once that starts, I usually am pretty good about then getting those 2,000 words down, yeah. Yeah, it's no, that's amazing. So many. I I write in academic areas, you know, in my 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 field. But writing is writing, and of course you're doing it full time, which is amazing. Um, and it's just, you know, I mean, everybody's got their way. Of, yes. Of doing them. So it's always very interesting to hear what folks are doing. And it's just so exciting to hear how you <laughs> go about your, your process. Well, I um, have to say, I, I went, I, I have a nonfiction book that I've written, which I'm, I hope to bring out sometimes in the not too distant future. Um, yes, it's the heroine's journey for um, writers, readers, and dilettantes. It's uh, because people talk about the hero's journey all the time. And I uh, also have a classics degree. And I was like, wait, no, uh, um, wait, there's a heroine's journey, please. Please understand it. Um, and finally, I got really frustrated having there being no like sort of basic breakdown out there, and so I finally decided I had to write it. But I have to say, nonfiction is so hard. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, I thought fiction was bad. Uh, fiction, you just get to like make it up, right? You just sit there, blah 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 blah. blah, blah. Especially as I also write um, contemporary paranormal, which is basically set in the area I live in. Um, it's I tried to make it as easy as for myself as possible because I got tired of stopping to research stuff that's set in the Victorian era. <laughs> but to go from that to like writing nonfiction, where you have to stop and research and like cross check everything. Whew, my goodness, I don't envy you. It is But I am hard. very excited to read your book. Oh, thank you. <laughs> that would be great. It is. It, I, I also did try to make it like me-ish, so light and fun and amusing and stuff. Like I, I, I want it to be enjoyable to read, even though it's not fiction. Yeah. It'll be great. Oh, thank yeah. you. Thanks. All right. So how is your writing style reflected in your personal style? Because your clothes and your shoes and your bags are fabulous. Good, I've been following you. you on Twitter for <laughs> years. Oh, you're so sweet. Um, well, uh, I guess I often think about writing from um, – from a sort of fashion perspective, right? Like you, you put the basics of the outfit on, that's getting the rough draft down. Like that's the hard part, picking what you're actually going to wear. And then you get to sort of edit it and fix it up. And that's like putting the accessories on, taking the accessories off, you know, putting on the makeup. That's all like the fluff. The makeup is, you know, the cover art. <laughs> right? So it is a little bit kind of like that. Um, but I am, I am an archaeologist again. So the aesthetics um, and the objects of aesthetics, like shoes and handbags and stuff, um, are very interesting to me as representation of sort of culture and identity and messaging. I mean, we message in what we wear. So, um, yeah, so I, I actually have a, a rant about um, authors dressing better for public appearances and stuff because I'm like, 
it's not it's not so much what it says about you it's what it says about how you respect the readers and the bookstore and the librarians and everyone who has shown up for for your event um i'm kind of infamous for that and, and it's mm. it's it's had a very amusing side effect which is i can i can identify my signing line at 100 paces <laughs> like i'll walk into worldcon or ala or something where there's a bunch of authors doing a bunch of signings and you can see the lines for yeah. for different authors and i'll be like oh that one's mine everyone looks adorable <laughs> that's yes. my line <laughs> they are looking fabulous <laughs> yeah it's so cute they are zhuzhed up yes 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 because coming see me is sort of an event and it's also like oh gosh gail will gail will say something if i I don't wear a cute dress <laughs> or a fabulous suit. And I'm like, Gail will not say anything, but she will say something if she sees the fabulous dress or the adorable suit. Like I get, I do get very excited about a cute outfit in my signing line, I have to say. <laughs> Love it. So my last question is, what are you reading now? Any YA or adult that you could, rec that you might recommend to our listeners? Okay, this is really exciting. Um, the title of the book is The House on the Cerulean Sea, and it's by T.J. Klune, um, who is a favorite author of mine. He's a great queer author. And this is basically the book that I wanted Miss Paragon's Home for Peculiar Children to be. Um, and I blurbed it, and I described it as 1984 meets the Umbrella Academy with a little bit of Douglas Adams thrown in. It is charming and funny and touching and poignant and absolutely found family. It is technically an adult book, but I think it's quite gentle. Um, so an advanced reader could probably take it. But as with everything, I, I always advise people, you know, read it themselves first before passing it along to children. Um, and because of that, I chose a YA book as well. I haven't read this one yet, but it like jumped to the top of my queue recently. It's The Afterwood by E.K. Johnson. And it's a YA about Lady Nights, which is my ballywick. I was like, oh, I will. Uh, lady nights, uh, girl cross-dressing to subvert the patriarchy, like sign me up, I will read that thing. Um, so I'm really excited about that one. And then I have a mid-grade, which is Jupiter Storm by Marty Duma, um, which is another one that's like strong, powerful girl character, takes on the world, and that always makes you happy. So um, yeah, so those are my three. Those, for, those second two are out, but it's The House on the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Klune, The Afterwood by E.K. Johnston, and Jupiter Storm by Marty Dumas with a S. Dumas at the end. So, yeah, you I heard it here. Yes. Straight um, from Gail Carragher. Give them a try, uh, please. Um, yeah, they pretty much hit, like hit all my buttons. So if you like my stuff or or even if you don't, give these books a try, please. Um, yeah, House on the Cerulean Sea is oh, so good. Um, Three, three that I'll be adding to my list as Yay. well. So thank you so much. Well, I want to thank you for taking your time this afternoon, your morning, my afternoon. Thank you so much for talking to me today. It has been a absolute pleasure to get to speak with you and see you. And I hope you have a great rest of your week and a wonderful weekend. So thank you so much. Thank you so, so, so much for having me. Again, it's an honor to talk to librarians. So. Well, to me as well. Circulating Ideas is produced by Steve Thomas in the suburbs of Atlanta. Views expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of my place or work or the place of work of guests. For past interviews, visit circulatingideas.com and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, or your podcast app of choice. And help others find the show by leaving a rating or a review. 
You can follow the show on Twitter at Cirque Ideas or like the show's Facebook page. Music is by Pamela Klicka. Thanks for listening and keep circulating your ideas.